This is the Untitled Female Podcast, and today I'm speaking with Corinne Fox. So suffice it to say that at this point, you know that you can skip over the introduction if you don't want to listen to me babble on about this particular guest. All you have to do is scroll to the next time you hear the track that just played, and that's where the conversation will start. But if you do want to know what I think, then you should stick around, because this is where I tell you what you need to know about my guest and what you can expect in this conversation. I have to immediately get this out of the way because when you hear Corinne Fox, you have to think about Jamie Fox because that's her father. I don't really want to say any much more about him because it's not about him and you can hear what she thinks about the relationship when you listen to the podcast. I first heard about Corinne when she wrote an article for Refinery29. In it, she used my favorite phrase, which is speak your truth. So I knew immediately... I was interested and I wanted to read what she was writing about. And then what I found out is that she's an ambassador for the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And I found that interesting. Why is she writing about this and what does she have to say? What she had to say was her truth. And that was that she is battled with anxiety. And I think what was most interesting is that she's had this like self-awareness, it seems, by the way, full disclosure, this was the first time I'd ever spoken with her, but I felt that she had this kind of self-awareness from a young age. So in choosing the college that she went to and in choosing to get an education before trying to model and act, I found that very interesting, especially knowing that we live in a world now where you could literally create a brand for yourself, especially if you're somebody with an already established platform and you can use your connections in the industry. And that's what's so interesting about Corinne is that in the world of influencers, she is so much more than that. Sure, she falls into that category. Sure, she's at the same functions that many of them are participating in. But the difference is, and I'm sorry to say this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but she has substance and I find that very unique and very refreshing. She's more than a face. She's more than a name. She's very, very smart. And I think she's choosing to use her platform wisely, which is to talk about important issues that she feels deeply passionate about. So there's a lot here in this conversation. We both kind of opened up about what it is like growing up with a famous father, although hers is infinitely more famous than mine. But it's a really good heart-to-heart talk. I think you'll take away a lot from this one. So I'm just going to let us do the talking. So here it is. to say like first with a lot of the guests that I've had on the podcast it's been incredible to watch there you know some of these people are my friends that I went to school with Mm -hmm. and now they're launching these companies and they're doing these amazing things so full disclosure you and I have never met this is the first time we're speaking right but I just felt such a connection to one particular article that you wrote for refinery and then I started doing digging and I was so curious to know about your story and, and why you chose to talk about your story. But before we get to that, I I wanted to kind of set the stage a little bit. If you can talk about kind of your upbringing, where you're from, kind of leading up to why you decided to to start writing in the first place and telling your story. Yeah. So I obviously was born and raised in Los Angeles because that's where my dad worked. And so I think a lot of people thought they watched me grow up in the spotlight because 
since the age of 10, I started going to red carpet events with my dad and people had saw me like kind of age, but I don't think people really knew me or what my life was actually like, which was incredibly normal. I was just like any other regular teen when I wasn't like going to these crazy events with my dad. When I was at home, I was dealing with the same issues that every teenager deals with. I was living a normal life. I was doing chores. I was in sports. Like I was just incredibly normal. And I think I'm so grateful for that because growing up in this industry, it's so easy to be sidetracked and kind of go off the rails. You have like unlimited access to parties. And I mean, it's just so easy. I think growing up in Hollywood to kind of go in this bad direction. And so I was very, very, very much so active about staying on the right path. And so one of the biggest things I did, which doesn't sound big, but going to college was something was kind of me taking control of my own life. Because a lot of people were like, Corinne, why would you go to college? You have all these opportunities, you could be acting, you could be making millions, you could be modeling, you should put out your own fragrance, you should do and I'm, I'm like, No, I'm gonna go to college. I respect this institution, I want to get a degree. And in college is where all my writing started to really flourish. And I'm so grateful that I went there because I really realized I had a passion for it. And so once I graduated and I did start pursuing acting and modeling, and now that I was educated and I could do it in a way that I felt confident, I wanted to start sharing all of those stories. I had this great writing ability and I felt like Refinery29 was a really good outlet for me because they kind of have a similar brand like I do very like socially conscious and I think their audience was my age. And I was like, well, this is a perfect fit. If I want to be honest and real, this is where I'm going to go. There's a couple of things that I want to talk about based on what you said. Yeah. The power of education. I just, I want to comment a little bit on growing up. My father, obviously not as famous as yours, but my father was an athlete. So I too grew up in this kind of world where I often questioned whether or not people yeah. genuinely liked me. Or if they just wanted to be connected to the world that I was privy to or if my dad or whatever opportunity was available. Right. And it took me some time to kind of figure out and navigate my life and to really understand people, to trust, you know, authenticity. I'm wondering, how did you learn to do that? How did you learn to navigate people and whether or not they were genuinely interested in you? I mean, I'm sure you could tell too, like, it's very easy, at least for me to, to notice if somebody's like, likes me for the wrong reasons. I mean, if you're too excited, I don't know. There's just, I, I just had this ability to be like, uh, or maybe I was just extra cautious with people, mm -hmm. but anyone who was, I don't know, a little bit too forward about being in Hollywood or anything, I kind of stayed away from all of my friends are like doctors and lawyers and they have nothing to do with the entertainment industry, which is great. Cause I know they legitimately as much as they like love what I do, they really don't care. They're like doing their own things that are way more cool and better and saving the world. Right. So I think I just, I've always been very distant to it and always been very observant to like people's energies and, and how they're kind of coming off. It is hard though. It's very hard growing up and I'm sure you understand. Weird situation to be in. Yeah, it is. And I, I without placing judgment on other people, I think it's very easy to use that as an, a platform and as an opportunity, as you said, you know, you, you can be in these circles where why wouldn't you just use the opportunities that you have? And it's very easy to kind of fall into the space of using your last name to get ahead. Yeah. Why did you 
what was your aversion to that? Like, why did you not want to do that? I just think I craved like normalcy so much from a young age. And I think it was a lot of just the way my parents brought me up. They just very much valued going to school and doing sports and getting good grades and all of the other entertainment stuff was extra. Like if I, you know, had done what I was supposed to do, then I get to go to the red carpet event. And so I just, my life was never really, it looked like it was so like glamorized, but it really wasn't. It was super normal and I just, I loved it. And so I think I just kind of, fell more towards that side than getting caught up in the other side of it. Were you, when you were born, was your father already acting or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you kind of, you grew up in that world. You didn't know any other world. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in that world. So you went to USC, correct? Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's an amazing school and such a tough school to get into. Um, Did you apply to other schools? Like, how did you choose that university? Yeah. I applied to 16 schools. Wow. Yeah, I got into 15 of them. I didn't get into the University of Miami. I was in between going to USC and going to Syracuse because I wanted to go to a school that had a good communication school because I majored in public relations. And Syracuse has one of like the best communication and journalism programs. Ultimately, it just came down to weather. I was like, I don't want to be freezing in Syracuse, New York. I want to be warm and close to family. And I could still do like acting and modeling if I wanted to. So mm-hmm. it was perfect for me. When did you start thinking about acting and modeling? Was it before college? No, not before college Off, at all. After. Yeah, it was during college. Um, the first few years, I, I didn't do any. And then about junior year, I got approached by a family friend who's also in the industry. And he was like, you know, you should really do modeling. You're, Oh no, I had gotten a campaign. I got the um I got the icing campaign, which is like it, like a Claire's off brand. But they had just reached out to me without an agent or anything. And so when I got that, I was like, oh wow, I should probably start modeling. And I did modeling first. And then once I graduated, I started getting into acting. So I've just this last year have just started it. What did you learn? Like what were some of your takeaways um, from going to university? Oh God, there's so many. Um, It just, I didn't realize how much of a privilege it was to go to school because before I was like, oh, it's gonna be fun going to college. And then I was there and the access to information, to knowledge, I just didn't really understand its value until I got there. And when I came out of college, it really made me an advocate for making sure that people, regardless of, of race and gender and everyone has access to education because I it was so rewarding that I felt when I left, I was like, everybody deserves an opportunity to go to, go to school. I actually, I didn't go to university. Um, I applied to schools. I actually applied to USC and UCLA, but my scores were nowhere near where they should have been. And I I often ask this question of people because, you know, when I talk to younger women who are trying to start a career in broadcasting or production, a lot of the questions are, did you go to school and what what was that like? And, you know, for me, it was a lot of just trial and error of putting myself out there and, and getting jobs. That said, I often think about you know, the access to information, like you said, the access to education of, of being in a classroom with professors who really know what they're talking about. And yeah. to, to kind of allow your mind to access different thought processes that you wouldn't have accessed if you hadn't been in that environment, you know? Yeah. And one, for me being one year out of college, I definitely think that you do learn a lot through trial and error, just through, you know, there's some stuff you can't learn in a classroom, you just have to go out and do it and figure it out. So I think, you know, definitely both are beneficial. But 
there is something special about being in a classroom and having any question you have answered. And I don't know, it was, it was just such a, a really rewarding experience. I'm wondering how it is like for you now that you're going into modeling and acting. It's really hard to find role models in that industry who, you know, they have millions of followers, they have these incredible platforms, and yet none of what they're portraying is close to the things that you and I are talking about right now. Like, yeah, I'm just, I'm curious, is it a, is it a, almost like a lonely, strange world to be in when you yeah. have all this knowledge that you have? Um, it is because I think I get put into this little group of people who are these influencers. And they're great and wonderful, and I'm making a lot of friends, but it is a little bit isolating because of, you know, a lot of them haven't went to college. A lot of them are a lot younger than me, too. I'm 23. A lot of them are, like, 18. And so I do feel this age gap and also kind of not like I'm smarter than anyone, but just kind of like a values difference. And it's the first time that I've really had friends in the industry. All, like I said, all my friends are, you know, actual real working people. And so it's my first time actually being in the industry and meeting people in the industry and being like, oh, wow, like this is what my dad was talking about. This is like, you know, kind of the road my dad did not want me to go down. Um, regardless, it's still fun. And, and, you know, they're nice people, but I think there definitely is a difference. And it, it, it does feel kind of isolating sometimes. Do you think that it's because there aren't more people like you that, we don't have access to them. Meaning like, for example, like Emma Watson to me is one of the few ex good yeah. examples of somebody in the industry because she went to Brown, you know, she advocates learning, she's a goodwill ambassador. Is it because the industry doesn't welcome as many people like you? Or is it like, what is, what's the, why isn't there? I don't know. I think, um, you know, if you want to really be in this industry, you have to really dedicate yourself to it. And a lot of time going to school doesn't make sense, especially with this whole social media influencer thing. You don't really need to go to school for that. And so I think you're, you're having a lot of people in the spotlight or who have all these followers who haven't even finished high school yet. So I don't think the industry isn't welcome to it, though, because I think a lot of brands want to work with people that are socially conscious. There is such a big shift in talking about tougher issues, feeling like you're a part of something. I think we are shifting towards that, but I think there's just the, the way that the industry is built, you don't really need to have a voice. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like the fashion industry where they talk about models and it's like you just need to be a hanger for the clothing. Yeah. This is almost like don't bring too much personality because we want you to just kind of sell our brand. Yeah. Which is which is dangerous as well. There was one thing that you wrote that was really interesting for me. You said, over the past few years, there has been a great evolution in what makes you famous. Fame seems attainable to anyone with an Instagram account and great camera. It seems like you can measure fame by counting follower accounts and social media impressions. I wanted you to kind of talk a little bit about that because I recently talked about the dangers of social media and the fact that we usually show 10% yeah. <laughs> of our lives, sometimes even 1% of our lives and hiding everything else. Why is it that you chose to talk about this? I think it's something that everybody's interested in. You know, everybody wants to know what's it like to grow up and in, you know, in the spotlight and what is fame like? And because I, I come from this background, I felt like, okay, let me kind of de-glamorize this because it's not as great as you all think it is. It is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And 
you know, you're following these people on Instagram, but you're not really seeing their full story. And so I just, I don't know, I just felt kind of a need to be honest with people. And I think because I don't see a lot of people like myself on social media, I thought, you know, I have to do this. (laughs) What did you feel was, what do you feel is wrong about that, about not sharing your truth? I think then you're, you know, isolating so many other people because people are going, everyone's going through issues, you know, no matter to whatever degree that is. And so when you're constantly having feeds full of perfect images, perfect, oh, I'm traveling here, I'm eating this food, I'm doing this, blah, blah, blah. You know, that makes you feel isolated. Like, wow, am I the only person that, you know, is sad right now or is going through something? And I think it's, yeah, it is dangerous to a larger community, all of your followers who are idolizing you, but, you know, they don't even really know you. Right, right. And also, I I feel that there's a difference between, and you kind of talked about this too, there's a difference between somebody who's in the industry for the reasons of, yeah, that's their passion, you know, versus just trying to be famous. And I think a lot of these influencers, and I don't want to say all of them, but many of them potentially are just trying to be famous. Can you, can you talk about the difference between that, like wanting to just be famous versus? Um, I mean, everyone has their own right to go into the industry, however they want to. If you just want to be famous, that's, you know, that's you, good for you. But if, or if you have a passion, good for you. My thing was more of like a warning to the people who are going into it just for fame, just to be kind of aware that fame, it, it's so hard for fame to be attainable because there is no measure for it. You're always going to want more and more and more, and it's never really going to satisfy you. And so it was literally just a pure warning to people like, you know, maybe check your priorities because I think even if you're the most famous person in the world, it comes with the consequences. It comes with sacrifice. It comes with isolation. And I've seen it, you know, from my dad, you know, it, it is such a hard life to live. And I don't think they understand that right now it's fun, but, but it really can be an animal that can really eat you alive. Was, was there any negative feedback to that? Like people saying like, oh, how, how dare you complain? Yeah. So, and I was very conscious of that because I knew it could come off like, oh, this little spoiled girl saying, oh, she hates her famous life. You know, like I did not want it to come off like that. I didn't get any negative feedback, but I think I addressed it kind of throughout because I, I say in the article, oh, I bet you're rolling your eyes. But it was really just about kind of giving people trying to open their eyes and open their perspective. And I think I did a pretty good job because I, I had pretty great feedback from it. No, I, I definitely felt like while I was reading it, because it's, it's, it's a touchy thing. It's like, such a touchy thing. <laughs> yeah. you you And listen, I I felt this a lot. Like while I was working at Vice, I, I would go to these communities where I felt like a shitty person because I was like, fuck, I wake up some mornings and I am upset or sad or whatever. And I then I end up at these in these communities and I'm like my life is wonderful but I thought that in starting this project I realized like when we when we compare our suffering yeah or our situation we trivialize people's feelings we we put it we put down their feelings and to say that to compare people's suffering like to say oh your suffering's not good enough you know what I mean yeah like, I think that's a very scary road to take and so I, I did think that you really struck this great balance where you were saying, of course, like, I'm not upset with the life that I have, but, but, but trying to kind of 
relay the message that it isn't all the glamour that everybody feels that it is. Yeah, definitely. So that definitely came across. The other article that you wrote, and I've had a lot of women reach out to me as I started this project, mental health is still such a topic that is taboo and and not talked about enough. Mm. And especially people who are going through, you know, whichever mental illness that they're going through, the idea of asking for help or coming out and saying, this is who I am. Yeah. And so I guess I'll let you talk about what you wrote first, because I don't want to put words or paraphrase or anything. Can you talk about that article? So yeah, that was one of my more nerve wracking articles to put out because it is so personal. But I was working with, um, I work with NAMI. I'm an ambassador for the National Alliance of Mental Illness. And it was Mental Health Month. And, you know, they asked me to write an article. And they were like, it could be whatever you want. You don't have to say anything about your anxiety if you don't want to. And I was like, I wasn't going to. I was like, no, I'm like, I'm too scared. I want to do it. And I was like, no, like, this is everything that I'm against. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be real. And I know that so many people are going to relate to what I have to say. And so, Um, I put out an article about my anxiety that I've had since I was like 14 and kind of just my journey with it and how I got to a place where I am now where I can, you know, I'm functioning and I'm happy and everything's fine. It was definitely very nerve wracking because there are those stigmas against mental health, but I feel it affects so many people. One in five Americans suffer from a mental health issue. And so it's such a topic that we don't talk about enough. Can you talk a little bit about your anxiety? How did how did you, when did you first notice it? How did it manifest in you? And how did it make you feel? Yeah, so I got diagnosed with an anxiety disorder when I was 14, which is a typical time that most mental health issues start arising between the ages of 14 and 24. And so kind of when you're going through puberty and stuff like that. And so it started in my English class. I was just getting very, like my hands were sweaty and they were shaking and I was nervous in this English class and I had no idea why. It kind of got on and on and on until the fact that I didn't even want to go to English class. I was just like, I don't want to go. Do you know why it was that particular class? I think it was at the time I didn't like reading out loud Mm. and they used to make you go around and like read like a paragraph out of the book, you know? which is funny now because I'm an actor, but, um, (laughs) but at the time I wasn't. And so it caused me so much anxiety, but to a point where it wasn't just like, oh, I'm nervous. It was like something that was bigger. And so I told my parents and, you know, they hooked me up with somebody and we kind of figured out together what was going on. And then from then I just became like this, I kind of got obsessed with figuring out how I was going to manage it. And I tried every single method of treatment that you could possibly do. And then I figured out, okay, like this works for me when I am feeling anxious, I should meditate because I know that really calms me down. And then I'll do this and that and kind of figuring out what is like my exact mix of things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I just kind of wanted to with the article just break down that barrier and hopefully like give some tips or some hope to people. Well, you said, so you said tips. I mean, you tried a lot of different things. Yeah. I recently just found an interest in cognitive behavioral therapy and I saw that you tried that as well. Yeah. What, what were some of the things that worked best for you? Like what do you have in your toolkit now? So meditating, exercising is huge because it reduces the cortisol levels in your body. So I exercise like very regularly. I meditate, I journal at night um, to kind of get all those anxious thoughts out so I can go to bed. Yeah. If, if anything's really bad, then I have 
like someone I can talk to. But yeah, just I think also getting older, I'm very self-aware of kind of my thoughts and what's going on. So it's a lot more manageable. So is it kind of this hamster wheel or I guess where it's just it starts and you you notice yourself yeah. reverting back to that kind of negative thought process? Yeah. That's what meditating really helps with because you're hyper aware of kind of your thoughts and not going down that path. You're like, oh, that's an anxious thought. Let it go. Instead of like, that's an anxious thought. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And kind of going down that, like you said, hamster wheel. So I think that's what meditating's really helped me a lot with. Why were you scared to speak your truth about that? Well, kind of exactly what I'm working with NAMI is there's so many stigmas. You don't want to be called crazy or I don't know just there's stigmas against it and so I was nervous I'm like I have this great image and everybody like thinks very highly of me and I don't want them to like see my weaknesses but I think in showing your weaknesses you really show your strength and so that was a big reason why I decided to do it I'm, I'm just wondering as you're talking about this um, for example I personally I haven't talked about this uh, openly yet, but I've, I have been battling with anorexia for seven years mm-hmm. and I just recently went into recovery for it wow. on the, th- for the third time, mind you, but, but this time in a, in a way where it is like, I have no choice, but to stay on this path prior to actually speaking about it publicly I felt the same thing. Like when I was reading what you were saying, you know, after you said, I have anxiety, you kind of wrote there, I said it, Yeah. you know, because there's this like freedom that comes with saying that. But as I was thinking of my own issues and my own thought processes, I, I, I thought, okay, well I can, I can talk about it and it could probably help other, you know, women and men who are dealing with this because an eating disorder, specifically anorexia nervosa, has the highest mortality rate out of any mental illness. And the fear that comes with that and speaking about it is, well, what are people going to think? Yeah. But to me, it's not so much men that I'm fearful of judging me, I guess. It's more women. Because body image is, is something that we talk about all the time. You know, yeah. it's like we, co- we comment on each other's bodies like, oh, you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're this or that, or I'm, you know, she's so anorexic, whatever. It's these words that we just toss around so easily. And I'm wondering, was there any type of fear attached with you talking about your anxiety in, in regards to women specifically or men? Like, I don't think so. I understand, I think, more with body image, how that, I think that's more of a, a female, you know, women are obviously hyper conscious of their bodies and hyper opinionated about other people's bodies for whatever reason. And so I that that makes sense, I think, for your specific struggle, why that would be something that you worry about. I wasn't worried between men or or women. I, I think it was just kind of like a general societal judgment, I think, towards towards anxiety. Right. Although I feel that so many people also toss that word around so easily. Yeah, yeah. The one that gets me is I'm going to have a panic attack or, oh my God, I had a panic because I've had panic attacks and they're the scariest things in the world. So when I hear people say that, it does kind of like irk me, but you know, it's, it's hard to change that, that it, just like, I mean, I guess people should be more aware, but it's, I don't like put people at fault. I don't think they're trying to be offensive for that. So yeah. <laughs> what, did, what was a pa- like, how did the panic attack feel for you? They're just like, I've had like maybe three in my life but 
they're just like, for me, it's very auditory and everything sounds really weird. And my heart's beating super fast out of my chest. And because it's a flight, fight or flight response, you feel like you need to leave. You're like, I need to get out of this room. I need to get up wherever I am. Um, because it's basically your body pumping adrenaline so much like back in the prehistoric days, like you have a saber toothed tiger coming after you. That is the same bodily response you're having, but you're sitting in a chair in a room and you're fine. So it's such a confusing thing, but I've only had it a few times, but it's scary. And so when people are like, oh my God, I was so scared. I had a panic attack. And I'm like, you definitely did not. You would know if you yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. For, so for someone who's listening to this, who has these issues that, you know, we're talking about, what are the steps that they can follow to, to get help and to talk about it, et cetera? First thing you can do is tell a family member or a friend or somebody that you trust. You don't have to like go find a therapist or anyone right away, but just, I think finding it in yourself, because it is scary to tell somebody to tell whoever you trust the most in this world, go to them, talk to them, have a conversation. And from there, slowly start researching methods that for treatment, for whatever, you know, you have, whether it's, you know, anxiety or something else. But I think that first step is just finding the courage in yourself to tell someone because it is it's a hard thing to do and then of course you just acquire these kind of tools to help you yeah and it it takes trial and error not everything works I've tried like I tried acupuncture and it just does not work for me it just it makes me even more anxious <laughs> the needles and things like that so it's a little bit of trial and error and it can be frustrating but once you have those few things that you're like this works for me every time you can live your life so much more confidently because then, then it's like Whenever my anxiety comes, I know what to do. Whenever I feel depressed, I know exactly what to do. It gives you that confidence to just walk through life and know you're going to be okay. So now that you have it kind of under control, yeah. for lack of a better word, what has that allowed you to do for your life in a, in a personal way? I mean, a lot of I had flight anxiety. I can travel by myself. I, I think it's just, it's this freedom to know that I can go anywhere. I can do anything and I will be okay. Because when you have anxiety, it's telling you, you're not going to be okay, Corinne. You're not going to get on that plane. You know, you're not going to be fine. But to know that I can, I have the strength to calm myself down without anyone's help. I think it's, it's very liberating. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of all of the podcasts that I do, I ask people kind of similar questions. So I wanted to, to talk to you a little bit about some of those questions that I ask. Um, so, you know, when I started this project, a lot of it was for me to reconnect with women. Mm -hmm. 10 years in the media industry, very heavily into sports. It was like testosterone everywhere <laughs> and I needed to get out <laughs> and kind of reconnect with women. So I, I'm curious if you have a definition for modern day feminism and how you, you practice that in your life. I think modern day feminism is supporting women in everything and anything that they do. And for me, I've felt the most like a feminist when I am starting my own company and it's about giving a marketplace for female run businesses. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the most like a feminist because I was like, these are all women businesses and I'm helping them and I'm giving them platforms. So I think it's just supporting one another and whether or not that's a battle with anxiety, a battle with anorexia, whatever is going on, just knowing that like we, sh we should be helping and supporting each other and not putting each other down because 
women, yeah, we need to stop doing that. Well, that was one of the things that I, when I started the project, I sent out an email and there was a questionnaire attached. And a lot of women came back to me saying, men aren't the roadblocks. It's a lot of women. Yeah. And have you, have you seen that as well? I mean, I, not really. I mean, in like, you know, Instagram comments or whatever, women can put each other down a lot. I've definitely seen that. But I just know that the way women talk about other women sometimes is just not in the most productive and, you know, supportive way. And so I think we need to stop what you were saying, comparing ourselves to each other and respecting that everybody is different. Everyone's going to look different and sound different and come from somewhere else. And I think just kind of uniting in that womanhood and wanting to support one another. Yeah. And also every woman is going to want something different and that's okay. Yeah. Can you name some of your female role role models? Um, Well, like you said, Emma Watson. (laughs) She's like who I idolize so much. Everyone that I idolize is like an actress who has went to college. (laughs) So Natalie Portman, (laughs) who went to Harvard, um, Rashida Jones, who went to Harvard as well. Um, Emma Watson, who went to Brown. So yeah, I kind of have a theme with all of my (laughs) role models. You had written about your mom as well. Yeah. What Can you talk about her and the lessons you learned from her? Yeah, my mom was in the Air Force for five years before she had me and she joined when she was 17. She's like the strongest woman in the world. So she's just kind of given me this strength and she's a small business owner, you know, runs her own business. It's like this badass Air Force veteran. And like, she's just super strong and amazing. What were, what would be some of the most important lessons that you learned from either parent? They both give me great advice. Both my parents absolutely love and live for what they do. And they would never, ever allow me to settle for a job that I did not feel super passionately about. So when I see them and they wake up in the morning, like so energized to go to work, it fuels them. They come back smiling because they love it so much. That has definitely given me that push to really fight for what I want to do and not settle for just like, oh, okay, this job's fine. You know, if it's not fine, if it's not amazing, don't do it. What would be a piece of advice that you'd give to your younger self, let's say maybe when you were 14 in English class? Um, the advice I would give to myself is don't underestimate kind of the power of what you can do. I think when you're younger, you're at least when I was younger, like I kept looking for other people to solve my problems. And I didn't realize how much power I had in that I can make myself feel better. I can achieve this. I can do this. And I think kind of really valuing the power that I had to control my own life. And what do you think she would say about you now? Oh, I hope she would be proud. <laughs> no, she would be she would be very proud and I think she would be like, "Wow, Karen, like I had no idea that I was going to achieve all of this." <laughs> no, I'm sure she would be proud. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine like at that moment at 14 like you feel like how am I going to handle yeah. this, you know? And and then here you are, you have all your tools. You have control over the thing that was probably holding you back. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I'm sure sure she would be proud. My hashtags that I have, there's two. One is speak your truth and champion flaws. For speak your truth, it's whatever that you wanted to kind of put out there. I mean, obviously you've written about this as well, but if there's something else that you feel like there's a truth that you want to, you know, say out say out to the world. Um, speak your truth. I guess that life 
isn't perfect. And no matter what you see or what people tell you, it's never going to be. But know that life is still worthwhile and amazing. And it's worth all of the imperfections. <laughs> and you mentioned imperfections, so they're kind of like flaws. Yeah. What would be some of your flaws that you would champion? Like, what do you mean? Like, yeah, so I think for me, a champion flaws is there's a great Brené Brown quote where she says, shame loses power when it's spoken, when it's talked about. So similarly with flaws, when we talk about our flaws, then all of a sudden they lose power over us. And also it creates this space like, oh, shoot, like I'm not the only one yeah. who is whatever. So are there some flaws that you'd say like, yeah, I have this and I'm working on it, but it's oh. not breaking me. Yeah, I mean, I have anxiety, which I guess could be seen as a flaw. But for me, it's really allowed me to get to know myself on a very deep level and understand some of like these underlying things about myself that you can very much ignore. So champion flaws, I have anxiety, but I'm working on it. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I can doubt myself a lot and I'm trying to work on that too. <laughs> well, self-doubt is normal, I think. Yeah. Especially yeah. in this day and age. It's like anything you put out, you're like yeah, immediately is. bombarded by people. Yeah. So you just never know. What are you trying to learn right now? I'm trying to learn balance. I have a lot going on in different areas of my life. And it's, I think as part of being an adult, <laughs> I'm trying to learn how to be an adult, mm -hmm. I think, um, which is very difficult. <laughs> but yeah, balance and prioritizing business in my career, but also my personal life. And it, it's, it's a very fine line where that kind of goes. And so I'm trying to figure that out right now. <laughs> and, and last question, um, I have everyone kind of right at the end. Um, Alianka, you should be asking this. What should Ooh, I be asking? Okay. Um, okay, Alianka, you should be asking how we can break out of our set ways of thinking and embrace something that is completely new and foreign to us. Amazing. <laughs> As if you had these prepared. Did you write these down somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> God, I, I always like think about like if people were to ask this, like on the spot. I, I, I had what no I idea saying, what I was so. going to say. Bravo. Yeah, that was great. Um, is there anything else that I should be asking you or that I missed or that you mm, want to say? No, because I mean, I like that you addressed both articles and we kind of had time to talk about both. I wasn't sure which one you were going to focus on, but I'm glad we talked about both. So, um, no, I think what you're doing is really amazing. And I would, are you in LA? I currently am in Michigan. I'll be in LA um, in July. I would so love if you're to there, I'd love to and, meet and up for get coffee. Lunch because I think what you're doing is really amazing. And I'm starting kind of my own platform. And I would love to see if there's a place that we could meet in the middle. Because I think what you're doing and what I'm doing is very similar. But uh, yeah, I'll explain oh, cool. it to you. I'll send you an email or something. Okay. Well, if this isn't <laughs> women supporting one another, then yeah, I don't know no, what else is. is but awesome. yeah, thank you so much. I... I really am, I know we don't know each other, but I feel oh, very you. proud of you because I know how difficult it is to go through yeah. a mental illness and to come to a place where you can talk about it and to figure out ways to handle it. And also, I think your authenticity, being somebody who isn't afraid to be smart, intelligent, yeah. self-aware, and also beautiful for a woman to, to really put yourself out there in that way, especially in the industry that you've chosen. Thank I commend you. you. So seriously, yeah, keep doing you. And I 
Um, I appreciate so much. That thank you. Took the time you. This to is so awesome. I'm very excited to see whatever we create from this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Of course. So just so you know, when we recorded this podcast at the time, Corinne hadn't yet launched her new business and that's foxtails.com. Check it out. It's F-O-X-X-T-A-L-E-S. And if you want to follow her on her personal journey, she's on Instagram at Corinne Fox, C-O-R-I-N-N-E-F-O-X-X. Same on Twitter. If you want to read more about the conversation, log on to our website at theuntitledfemaleproject.com and head over to the podcast tab. Click that, find Corinne, click that, and then you'll get a bit more information on there. I'm always looking for suggestions, for tips, for people you think I should be interviewing, likes, dislikes, anything that you got, make sure you write those down in the comments. And of course, if you love this conversation, please share it with your friends, your family, your social media followers. And just remember at the end of the day, the most important thing is to tell your story, to speak your truth and champion your cause. See you next time.